For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to Believe Knicks Episode 8. I'm Matthew Miranda, joined as always by Stacey Patton. We join you after an interesting three-day span for the Knicks. On Thursday, there was the 25-point comebacking R.J. Barrett buzzer-beating uh, 108-105 win over the Celtics. And then in the rematch tonight in Boston, probably the less said the better, 99-75 Boston. It's the fewest points the Knicks have scored in a game since April of 2018, I think it is. Um, an ugly game, an interesting week. We are here to discuss. Stacey Patton, how are you? What's new with you? Doing good. Staying mellow. Uh, with, with the W, actually. Uh, yeah, we will we, we'll probably, we may get through an episode without talking about Carmelo Anthony. We'll see. <laughs> but in um, this sense, I mean it in the literal sense. I think um, we just won and, went one and one against a pretty good team. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not uh, wallowing in this loss. So, Yeah. I mean, all things considered, given how the season has gone, I'm glad they won a home game. Um, a big home game for once. I think they've they've already shown they can be competitive on the road, but it would be nice to see the Knicks start to reestablish Madison Square Garden as a, a home court advantage. Um, so a couple changes in today's game from last time. We'll talk a little bit about today's game and then get to some other subjects. Uh, Evan Fournier was benched by Adam Silver for crimes against Boston. Um, he's just too good against them. A 41-point explosion on thursday he tied jr smith's team record for the most threes in the game um also jr smith was the last nick to hit a buzzer beater he was in fact the last two buzzer beaters because he hit one in phoenix and charlotte uh in 2013 so shout out to jr smith for getting a lot of attention last night but uh fournier unavailable today with a contusion in his left thigh i believe so emmanuel quickly started in the backcourt with alec burks which was um, excited and interesting to see for those who have been clamoring to see IQ in the starting lineup. Uh, he's been playing really well, I feel, of late on both ends. Um, what do you think of Quickly's performance tonight? In a game where really uh, pretty much all the Knicks struggled, I thought Quickly stood out as having like a pretty effective game, all thing, as effective as you can be in a game that you lose by 24. Yeah, I mean, look, they, they got off to a hot start. Uh, part of that was Quickly's hot shooting. But he was moving. He one thing that's underrated with quickly is that he moves really well without the ball. Um, and one thing I noticed today is I, this is not me blaming Randall, but I think because everyone tends to defer a little bit more when Randall's on the floor. Again, not saying it's because of him. That's just kind of it seems like a resting state. Quickly himself, I think that he he moves a lot better on the court when he's playing with Rose and the bench than he does with the starters. And maybe that could be also those are more important possessions, slow down, whatever. Today, like from the start, he was moving. He was a ball of energy. Um, so it wasn't – a lot of it was not about Emmanuel quickly, the point guard. A lot of it was him just 
uh, like how much his activity on offense was opening things up for other ones. Like his first assist, he made a backcourt cut. Julius found him, and then he just had a quick dump off touch pass to Mitch. Right, um, great pass, but not you know not the point guard quote unquote things. Right, but over the overall, he ran the offense really well. He had a great balance working with Julius. I I really that that first quarter offense is like kind of a gold standard for you know for what the Knicks could be. Um, and as someone who's been clamoring for quickly to start. Certainly last year. Um, right now, I, I don't think he needs to start over Kemba for sure. Um, there's an argument he should start over Fournier. We can discuss that. But um, I think it shows that he's ready for the moment. Um, and this is what people have been questioning, right? He's a bench guy. He's just maybe one day he can be Lou Williams, but he's not a point guard and all that. And I think he showed both that he's ready for it and where he has work to do. And I think where he has work to do is where the entire Knicks team is missing something, which is someone who can get to the rim um, at um, at volume, right? The, the Knicks actually made more three-pointers than the Celtics and shot basically the same percentage. I think one team was like, I think it was like 40 and 39. I think the Knicks might have been 40%. So both teams shot the ball well from three, but the Knicks actually shot a worse percentage from two. Uh, at least before garbage time, I didn't check the garbage uh, the garbage score, the box score. It was pretty much a garbage score for us. <laughs> I didn't check the box score after, uh, you know, after the beginning of garbage time. But at that point, the Knicks were actually shooting worse from two, and that's not a Quickly's fault. Um, but it shows you the lack of. It shows you two things, right? Because they always have a big who can't score in the paint, that kind of limits driving lanes. And because they have very few guys who can just get there anyway, even with just a pick and roll or something, like who are the guys that can score at the rim consistently? It's really Randall and Rose. RJ's inefficient there. Um, quickly Mitchell, can't get there that often. If you want to but call he that needs, he needs someone to set him up, right? True. Yeah, no, and very so, true, very true. Right? So in the perimeter, it's really just Rose and Randall. Kemba's, I mean, Kemba's better at it than quickly. But that's what the Knicks are missing as a team. And that's the that's and that's the thing. They have so many good, talented guards. And there was a while, you know, when they had Frank Nilakina, Alfred Payton, and like um, you know, the, the year before all of the moves, right? Um, that year, like Randall's first year, it was kind of the opposite problem. They didn't have shot makers, but they had a ton of guys that could even Moutier could get to the rim, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now they have kind of the opposite problem where they have a bunch of really talented shot makers, smart players who can create. But um, they just lack that. And then that, so that's once Boston figured it out, that kind of, it, it made the Knicks offense a little bit predictable. But again, I'm not, I'm not disappointed in this because here's the thing, right? Look at the, look at the Celtics starting lineup. You have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, two all-star caliber, caliber players, right? But, I mean, if we're being honest, you can have a very high opinion of, J- of Julius Randle and still think Jalen Brown's better than him. Mm-hmm. We know Jason Tatum is. So they have two guys that are arguably better than anyone on the Knicks team. So one guy who's without a doubt is, I would probably say Jalen Brown is too. You have Robert Williams who has this year emerged into a center that's more consistent than Mitchell Robinson, although I didn't think Mitchell played that bad tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Marcus Smart who is a veteran winning player. Um, and then, uh, then you have Horford, right? Veteran winning quality above average player. Like that's a really good starting five. Yeah. Um, and then you take into account the Knicks were playing with eight men. 
They didn't have Kemba or Rose. They didn't have Fournier, who against this team is a big addition. Um, like, yeah, like I, I think there's a lot of people freaking out about the effort. But effort tends to follow when you know you're kind of in a tough situation. They put up a fight in the first half. They played really well. But in the end, talent went out. And when that final punch came, I think the Knicks kind of realized that the odds were against them. And you'd like them to keep fighting. But you can also understand it on a night like tonight. And they stole one. So they're still, as you posted, 19 and 21. Um, you know, I, I focus more on tonight. We can talk about the, the night before, I think, with that RJ shot. That's worth living. But... Those are kind of my thoughts on where we are now. It's like we know the limitations, we know what we have, and um, quickly had an encouraging night. And I think he's growing into what can be a really good point guard. Um, but we saw both why there's reason to be enthusiastic and why he's, um, you know, what he still has to do. Mm-hmm. To your point, and this was definitely influenced by the Knicks playing um, some of their starters fairly late into the game, but. This was a game where where it was the unusual game, and the Knicks are shorthanded as everybody is. But maybe, um, the, maybe the breakdown just affected them differently. This was the rare case where the Nick bench like really contributed nothing. Quentin Grimes hit two threes. Other than that, the bench didn't have a single point. Um, Boston's reserves had thirty three. I, I don't recall maybe one of the game this year where the Nick bench has been just like that thoroughly outscored, um, which. Also, to your point about the first quarter offense, um, it sounded to me, if, if I'm correct, that you saw some of what was happening in the early going as like kind of maybe what you've been waiting for. There was a lot of the Knicks were hitting threes. Uh, they were getting good looks at threes. Randall, in particular, I thought early on, was doing a wonderful job of, of penetrating off and going at Horford um, and kicking out not to the obvious recipient, but to, in a lot of cases, like the best recipient, the recipient who would have been open um, one pass through swinging the ball around. The Knicks looked great in the first quarter. Offensively, they hit seven threes, but I was concerned when the first ended because they had 26 points and 21 of them were on threes. And I feel like I that first quarter was like fun and positive in a lot of ways, but I feel like the Knicks have become too three-point happy, where I feel like almost the only way the Knicks can win a game now is to outshoot their opponent from three. And that's not unique to the Knicks. That's basically like where the league is altogether. I looked the last two nights. Um, Miami hadn't finished their game yet, but when I right before we went on, I looked at the last 14 games in the NBA, and the team that has more threes made um, has won 10 of them the team that had the better percentages. Like the three is obviously the dominant, you know, coin of the realm, whatever. But do you think the Knicks, as great as the first quarter looked, are you, do you see any other way this team identity wise wins games other than outshooting their opponents, like from three? Cause they're not, I don't feel like generally their defense has been better, but I don't feel like the Knicks are winning games because of their defense or, because they get to the line or because of their ball movement, I feel like it's it's threes. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, that is... I think uh, I, I'm starting... After tonight, I'm like, they are about 500, all said and done. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not that different from last year. So I think as much as... I mean, I don't know what they're ranked in defensive rating now, but you know, they're still an elite rim protection team um, and those kind of things, right? 
Um, so like defense is still part of their identity, even though they have a lot more atrocious performances than they did last year. Coming into this game, their defensive rating was 18, which is up. Oh, basketball yeah. reference. This is 18. Um, Sorry, it's 20th now on NBA.com. Oh, okay. Which I think is actually an improvement from where it was earlier in the season, but still not something to hang your hat on. Yeah. So what they can hang their hat on even now is rim protection. They're still the second best team in the league. Um, to rim, in rim protection to Cleveland, who is an assembly line of seven footers. So, um, you know, that's that's still something they can hang their head on. The other thing I would say is um, I don't necessarily think that has to be the case. They have to outshoot. I think that they have to, like, not shoot 25% from three or 20% from three. But if they just shoot 34% but get enough threes up, that should be enough. Mm-hmm provided like i think the fact that lately it's really seemed like that is more speaks to how little pressure the knicks can put on the rim without a player named derrick rose um i think it's even more exaggerated when you don't have um kemba walker um i think that's why the games where rj barrett has been aggressive it's really notable even when he doesn't shoot well how much it opens up the knicks offense because uh you know teams know like we know how teams are going to defend the knicks they're going to key in on randall and they're going to trust the fact that the other Knicks players are not going to be able to make anything happen if you close out on them, right? So all you have to do is close out, is make Randall's pass difficult. And if he passes, make it so that the, the closeout isn't that hard. Um, RJ has taken advantage of that. Fournier did a good job of just hitting a lot of contested shots, quickly has hit contested shots, and mm-hmm. he will play off it. The, diff- the problem with quickly is he can't get quite all the way to the rim. Um, that's, that, by the way, that's really it. Like, I don't think like people talk about quickly is not quote unquote a point guard. He shows a lot of good point guard instincts. There was he a does. possession. There was a, what? Sorry. He does. I, I agree with you. There was a possession in the last game. This is a very tiny thing, but I'm specifically calling this out as opposed to, you know, some spectacular lob to Mitch, but there was this possession last game where Obi got a switch. Obi posted up smaller defender on Boston. And quickly threw them the bat, threw them the bounce pass, right? That's a pass that Knicks guards haven't made this year. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But that's like just un, like a, that's a point guard understanding matchups and understanding where to get it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think his vision is good. I think he's an accurate passer. I think the bigger problem is when they know that there's an area of the court. When any defense knows there's an area of a, of a court, you can't threaten. It limits what you can do. Um, that works. That goes for point guards who can attack the rim but can't shoot. You know, like an elf, and I'm not saying Quickly's problem is as much as Alfred Payton, but whenever there's some, whenever you can't threaten everything or keep defenses honest, that happens. Yeah. That happens to quarterbacks in football, right? So I think that's the bigger issue for Quickly than like, I think he's a good enough passer and, you know, IQ guy to put it, to take <laughs> the very low hanging fruit there um, right. um, for, for that. But um, from what I've seen before, do, are the Knicks three-point dependent? They don't have to be more so than any other team. Um, but I think it's or, or not too much more so than any other team. But they are a little bit on that end of the spectrum. And what has made it really feel that way is the fact that um, that Dirk Rose has been out. And, and Campbell Walker has been out. But especially Rose, because there isn't another guard on the team who like you can just give him the ball at the three-point line, and he'll get to the rim. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And we're missing Rose. And I think at, at you know there were people who when he got diagnosed with the injury people were like well maybe the Knicks should tank now right because 
it's that devastating a blow. Mm-hmm. The only there is he is the second most vital player. If you ask many people, the most vital player on the Knicks, and um, we don't make the playoffs. We probably don't make the playoffs without him last year. We certainly don't end up at fourth. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what the Knicks are struggling through right now. Yeah, Rose got an MVP last year, which was mildly controversial, but like he Sorry, had an enor- he had an enormous, enormous, enormous impact. Wait, wait, um, you said he got an MVP last year. He got one MVP, one MVP vote MVP last vote, year, right? um, yeah. and and like whatever. I mean, it made some sense. There's there's a lot of people who deserve one MVP vote. I was really surprised by that, but like he is. I mean, I think you saw when Randall was out. Randall is irreplaceable. You know, the Knicks don't have a hub like him on offense. But after him, or maybe up there with him, um, Rose definitely seems to be the next. And Mitch, I would say. Those are probably the most irre- – whether you think they're the best or they're not, they're probably the most uniquely irreplaceable. Um, speaking about quickly, um, you made a point about his vision and something I've I've seen him doing this much more this season than I saw last season. And I think, relatedly – I'm seeing the Knicks do it more this season, which is last season than last season. The Knicks have been really awful for a while at not feeding the ball to mismatches. Like when the Knicks guards spot a mismatch, like, you know, it, it, it might raise an eyebrow and that's it quickly, particularly in transition. It's happened a lot with Obi. It's also happened with Taj. He'll spy from, he's 60 feet from the basket half court and sees that there's a Nick big in the paint with a small guy in front of them and, and the Knicks are ready in 40, whatever it is. Yeah. 40 games this year, I feel have thrown ahead more to bigs in transition who have someone pinned than they did all of last season in 72 games. And like, I don't think quickly is he doesn't have, you know, the vision of Chris Paul or Mark Jackson or somebody like that, but I don't think they need that. And I think what's really particularly impressed me of late with quickly, I'm I'm never really sure about him offensively. Like he does a lot of things nicely, but like I'm I don't I don't know I don't know where he is going to end up on that end. But I've been really happy this year to see his play on the defensive end, and I feel like late, especially of late when the Knicks were winning games, um, which they had won five of seven before tonight. Quickly was a big part of that on both ends, not just scoring and passing, but also deflecting things he can do on the perimeter and the passing lanes. He's been a really bright spot on both ends of the floor. Yeah. I mean, I like when I evaluated quickly in college, one thing that puzzled me was that he was actually, he won sec player of the year. So he was a terrific player in college. And it was interesting because he was neither the team's leading, the main offensive gun that was Ashton Hagen's, and Tyrese Maxey was the more ballyhooed prospect, although they actually didn't go that far from each other in the draft. Uh, Maxey went 21st after being mocked in the lottery most of the year. Side note, if you've watched the Sixers at all, um, he's making that 21st pick look very ridiculous, <laughs> as his teammate quickly is with the 25th pick, right? Um, quick, but quickly was known as he was kind of their glue guy, who was probably their best shooter and probably their best defender. And he was an elite defender. He was SEC all defense. But one thing I noticed was that despite the fact that he has like a 6'10 wingspan, he didn't get a lot of steals in college. Um, And that's one thing, because when you evaluate prospects, you're looking for like, you know, even if you haven't completely figured the game out, when you're playing against 
a lot of guys who are not going pro in sports and you're a future NBA player, you should be racking up the things that your athleticism and just I am just 99.99 percentile and you're if still 99 percentile, that's an order of magnitude lower than me in this distribution, I should be able to dominate. And one of those things is steals, right? That's what we've seen. And he wasn't racking up a ton of those. And I think part of that is he's generally been a defender that is more focused on positional defense being in the right spot. And we saw that last year. And I think last year he had his ups and downs on defense. Um, by the end of the year, I legitimately thought he was one of the Knicks' better perimeter defenders. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, probably not as good as RJ or Reggie, but I certainly thought he was a better, by the end of the year, better defender than Alfred Payton. I thought he was a better defender than some of the other guards. Um, and but, but he still wasn't doing, you know, he still wasn't hopping passing lanes. And that's something he's really, I think, looked at. His steal rate hasn't gone up. It's still 1.4 compared to 1.2 last year. So, But I think if I were to look at the deflection stats, I would imagine he gets a lot more of those. He's been more aggressive. Um, and he's str- he's stronger now, too. So I think that's part of it. Like, there's not... If he gambles and he... You know, even, like, we talk about just getting bodied. But sometimes another thing we don't talk about as much is, like, when you're weaker or when you're not as strong, being out of position is that much more impactful, right? Because... Like every inch that you can have, if you give it up or if you give up the 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 leverage, it's just way worse for you. Um, and he has that now. So I think you're seeing that. I think that guy's going to be a terrific defender. I think he already is a really good one. Um, I think part of the reason that you didn't see Deuce play as much, and we can talk about that because I thought he should have played a little bit more because just because it seemed like IQ and Burks got a lot of minutes that mm-hmm. maybe they could have reduced that load. Um but I think a lot of people are like McBride is a different level of defender from quickly. And in some ways I get it. It's like, but you know, it's like, I, I, I know you're not a huge football fan, but um, it's like, um, you know, when you see like there are cornerbacks who are just always making plays, always kind of loud and like beating the crap out of receivers, kind of like Deion Sanders. And I'm not talking about, I'm not saying he was over, like I'm not specifically talking too much about shit talking or all that. I'm just saying, like, they're always involved. And then you have cover corners who just never get thrown at. And who are just, like, always in there. And that's kind of what quickly is compared to McBride. I like having both. Right, right. right. And I would say McBride does have a little bit of a higher ceiling. But I think the gap between them as defenders is a lot smaller than people realize. If there is a gap, I think you can trust quickly probably to do his job more often than McBride. Just because McBride's a rookie. Quickly went through that last year. Mm. Um. But no, he's he's um, after Burks. He's probably the Knicks' best guard defender, right? And if you're considering RJ guard, then him too. But right. after Burks, I would say quickly is the best defender. Like Grimes and McBride probably have slightly more potential than him long term because of the size. But right now, he's he's the best of that group. Yeah, I don't feel I don't feel bad when I when I see quickly lined up in a big spot defensively like i feel okay like he's gonna give you a chance um does quickly remind you of anybody i was thinking about this like so many players you can see you can see someone in their game um like you know pretty quickly no pun there but like i think part of my issue with quickly is like he has aspects of a lot of players like he's always compared to lou williams and i don't see that at all lou williams i think was a much better one-on-one um 
quickly has a great handle, but Lou Williams was was more of that kind of a scorer. Um, I can't think of a player that I've ever seen who who quickly rings to mind. Quickly to me is like unique, and I don't feel like any individual aspect of his game is like he's not he's not a great three point shooter. Like he's okay, and at the volume that he shoots, like it's worth it. But he's not. This isn't like Steve Novak or Hubert Davis, you know, from the perimeter. He's his floater game is not it's not like incredibly efficient. It's not like, oh my god, like the quickly floater is like the Kareem Skyhook. Like it's not that reliable at all. He like you say, he's not a playmaker on defense, and he's not he's not a Darrell Revis cover too. Like he's not someone who like you just you're never gonna go at. Like you're gonna go at him. Um I can't think of anyone that quickly reminds me of. Does he remind you of anybody or are there any parts of his game that bring specific people to mind for you yeah i mean i will say the puns are just i'll answer your question but like the puns are almost unavoidable at this point and it's gotten so like my phone actually auto corrects the actual word like i'm coming quickly (laughs) will auto correct puts an e in there yeah um i think yeah i mean i get where the lou williams comps come from he's like a skinny Wiry guy. I think wiry is a better term because I think IQ is actually pretty strong. I think Google mm-hmm. is strong, pretty strong for that matter too, and probably an underrated defender. Um, but Lou Williams, to your point, yeah, I mean, at his peak, certainly he had much more of the bag, if you will, and he he's just more threatening around the rim and quickly still developing those games, uh, d- developing those parts of his game. Um, I think it's fair to say he has Lou Williams in his game, just a primary scorer who can make the right reads um, and is a good enough ball handler. Um, I think at times Lou Williams has been a good defender in his career. Um, I think quickly can be that. It's funny. Out of college, I thought he could grow into something like Pat Beverly, to be honest. And now that is not the kind of comp I would use for him by any means. Um, Honestly, the closest player in the league right now have you watched the Nuggets much this year? Uh, some. Have you seen a guy named Bones Highland at all? Or I Highland? so wanted the Knicks to draft Bones. My heart wanted Bones Highland. I, my brain couldn't make sense of it. I was like, you don't need Derrick Rose and Quickly and Burks and Bones Highland. But, like, my God, I wanted that dude. Yeah, I mean, I love Grimes. He's like too. Lou Williams to me. He reminds me of Lou Williams. Oh, it, yeah. I mean, in some ways, I, yeah, because he's better at getting to the rim. That was one thing. Like, whenever I was talking about Bones, everyone's like, well, you already have Quickly. And they are freakishly similar players. Like, the release is the same. They'll both pull up from, like, wherever. Um, I think they've, I think they're friends, too. So they've talked about, mm-hmm. you know, that similarity. Um, they both have a similar type of handle. They were both really skinny coming out of college. Bones is a little bit better at getting to the rim. But in terms of the general form of the game, that's kind of what it looks like, right? It's loosey-goosey, yeah. out in space, can pull up from anywhere, kind of a low release, which forces you to do other things, but really heady. On defense, there's also a lot of similarities. Bones actually was – he was more of a steals guy. He was kind of the opposite of IQ statistically mm-hmm. on defense because, um, because he was asked to do – he was basically asked to carry VCU's offense. Um, you know, he did not do much on defense, but one thing he did do is hop passing lanes. Mm-hmm. And he actually, I remember the one game I, I watched him against Deuce and that was a fun battle. And I ended up falling in love with both those prospects. But, um, there was one game where he really tricked Deuce because he was on the wing and Deuce 
Deuce ran, I think it was either pick and roll or he just beat his guy. But Bones actually stunted to act like he was going to help. And then he fooled Deuce. And I can't blame Deuce for the read because it really looked like he was coming. But he was able to sell the fake so hard because Bones and IQ both have these long wingspans. And that was when I was like, all right, he might get beat a lot on defense. He might be lazy sometimes, but he's a, that's high-level thinking and execution. Mm-hmm. Like that's a, that's a great combo. Bones is a guy, a lot of people have said Jamal Crawford, for some of the same reasons you said with Lou Williams, I think that there is some trepidation. There's parts of a lot of guys. I see some Tony Parker with the, with the, mm-hmm. the floater game. Not just the floater game, but he's added this this year. What I, what I, I think I tweeted this before, but what I said in Quickly's rookie year was after this year, during the summer, lock him in a room with a bench and lots of weights and as much Tony Parker and Steve Nash film as you can find. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to say he's exactly like Steve Nash. He's a little bit more similar to Parker, but they were both excellent finishers at the rim and yes. neither of them could jump over a phone book. Uh, because they could, and quickly has done that. Those like he had a big one against Boston last game, uh, where it was technically a jump shot, but it was from one foot away. And because he released, he he didn't he, he didn't take the floater like they expected him to. He didn't take a layup. It was kind of an in between between the floater and the layup. And he's been wrong footing a lot of his floaters recently. Exactly, and it, it caused it's and that's that was a Tony Parker. It was especially <laughs> a Steve Nash staple, but Tony Parker used it mm-hmm. a lot. Um, and that's so he reminds I will say and that's to say he's as good as Tony Parker, um, but he reminds me a lot of Parker. And if you if folks remember, Parker drove Popovich crazy early in his career, like it took time for him to become who he was. He also had a lot of things to polish in his game. So I'll, I'll go with Tony Parker with the caveat that I'm not saying he's going to be that good. And I'm not underrating the career of someone I think is a, a certain Hall of Famer. So, yeah. When they were in 03, when the Spurs were winning their second title with Duncan, there was the main the canonical belief when they were playing the Nets in the finals was that um, they were going to trade Parker, I think do like a sign-in trade for Jason Kidd. I think it was Jason Kidd. Uh, is this there, when they had George Hill, or is this before that? Before that, yeah, before that. So three. Um, they also thought about trading Parker when George Hill like played really well for them. Yeah, right? I'm saying like Tony Parker is this Hall of Fame, you know, point guard who's a, a key part of four championships. And um, in '03, they they were going to trade him like for a sure thing. So I think quickly is is similar in the vein of you have this player who's like very talented, but like like when you said that. When you talked about how they'll pull up for anywhere, I think the reason the Knicks never would have drafted Bones Highland. Yeah, I, I here's the other thing. I will say I'm not. I know that Parker didn't wasn't a great three point shooter, so his inside the arc game reminds me a little bit of Parker. Could be. Mm. But sorry, go ahead. No, just if the Knicks had drafted Highland and had two players pulling up from where they do, like <laughs> Thibodeau would literally like be medically out of the league. So I think there was no <laughs> day where they were taking Bones Highland. Um, Last note on quickly, kind of off the courtish more, um, but again along the same line of does he bring anyone to mind or is he unique? I can't think of. I've I have a hard time coming to a quick idea of any Nick I can remember who has been as popular from the beginning as quickly, and it really has never gone away. Like people were very happy. People were pretty happy, I think, to get him, particularly at. at at 25th after all the moves 
by the time preseason wasn't even over and quickly was a fan favorite because he put up like enormous lines in the preseason against like Detroit and Cleveland. He was a fan favorite all season. He's still loved this year. I would say more loved because he's, he, and he's earned it because he's, he's playing better. He's improving. Can you think of any Nick? Like I, I don't feel like Porzingis was as popular on draft night as quickly was at least at their spot for sure not (laughs) you know so you know first of all by the time peak Porzingis was pretty popular that's who's the last player like like maybe Barrett but I don't feel like Barrett's ever been as loved as quickly like the last player the Knicks drafted who was that universally acclaimed like from the beginning like basically from draft like at his spot you know from there to instantly like preseason darling to impressive rookie to improves in second year like i think i might be missing someone but like i think you have to go pretty far back yeah i mean that's that's the thing those are tight conditions right because you're basically at that point ruling out any lottery pick because the expectations are just too high for them that's why that's why you would you would say that quickly has Quickly has what you would call unconditional love, whereas mm. RJ has what you would call unconditional. Uh, sorry, you would call conditional love. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, there's guys who are going to defend him to his death, but the reality is he was a third pick in the draft. Where the top two was a generational player who, when he's been healthy, has been that, mm-hmm. and another generational player now in John Murray. Yeah, so yeah. that's just a tough. And then the Darius Garland went right after RJ, and he's been like, you get picked third. That's just the way it is. Um, it's, it's it's tough to like quickly fits a lot of checks a lot of boxes there, right? Where he overperformed his draft spot as a twenty fifth pick, um, and um, and yeah, I mean, it's worth what like if Draymond Green had the career he did but got taken first overall, is he as beloved? Mm-hmm. I don't know, right? And, and then I'm not comparing quickly to Draymond Green, and I'm not saying he hasn't had a great career. What I'm saying is the like. Has Draymond Green had a great career for a first-round pick? Uh, maybe if you look at the numbers and you did kind of an expected value, you would find that he has, and I personally think he has. But if there was a first, sorry, a first, not a first-round pick, a first overall pick, if he was a first overall pick, you expect those guys to be superstars, right? But part of the reason he's beloved is he did go 35th. Um, and I think that's helped quickly. Um it's helped him more than guys like Obi or, or Barrett. Uh, I think there's just an audacity to his game beyond that that makes a lot of difference. Here's what I'll pose to you, though. When we're comparing him to other players, um, so this is not a person I normally tend to pay much attention to, but he's mentioned this a few times, and I do think it's an interesting comp. So um, Tommy D has mentioned that quickly reminds him of Starks. Um, do you see that a lot? I, I I was very young and I didn't analyze the game the way I do now. When I, you know, I Starks. Um, so I'm actually from my hometown is where John Starks lives and has lived since the 1990s. He used to host a basketball camp with Doc Rivers there, um, and I went to it as a kid. So John Starks was one of my favorite players growing up, probably before Sprewell got there, Sprewell, I think, replaced John Starks as my favorite Nick at that time. But I'm at, like, first team. So I love John Starks, um, but I didn't have the same critical eye towards his game as I do, you know, with someone like Quickly. 
Do you see that comparison at all? Yeah, I see similarities. I see similarities in that they're both, I think, um, shooting guard. I, it means less now than it did then, but one of the one of the real great benefits of Starks um, was the the defensive versatility he brought, but also, you know, Starks in his best year with the Knicks had, led the team in assists, had I think close to seven, definitely over six a game. Like he could pass. Um, and I think quickly, like Starks, is he brings you that he brings you a versatility. You could play John Starks with a lot of different kinds of guards, um, and and I love that about quickly. You can put quickly with. We've seen what he can do with Derrick Rose. Um, he's had moments with, um, with Burks. He's had moments even I, I think with what's that? Oh, you talking about guards? Yeah, yeah, sorry. yeah. Oh, but but yeah, but certainly with all kinds of players. Um, he just he's he's a real spark. The way that Starks was. Um, he is a presence on both ends. He's not at the Starks level at all defensively. Um, but again, he's much younger than, than, you know, Starks was by the time Starks got to the Knicks. So give quickly, you know, five more years of strength and conditioning. And yeah, there's a lot of ways that it makes sense. There is that audaciousness, um, to their game. There is definitely that. So my dad is, is, I guess you could still say is a minister, um, but growing up, like he was a minister and, um, in my house, English and Spanish were both spoken. And one of the things that like I learned very quickly in life was that for some reason, like cursing in English was not a thing that like you did, like, like my grandmother literally on more than one occasion, like literally washed my, my mouth out with a bar of soap. Like you did not curse in my family in English. But in Spanish, like you could curse, like somehow it was it was just a different set of rules. And I remember, I also learned watching my dad. My dad used to play a lot of sports, like he was in a baseball league and he would play basketball. And I learned also, like interestingly, you could curse in English if you were playing sports. That was the only time that cursing was okay in English. And then the first time I ever heard my father curse in English, like in our house was a game where the Knicks were down one to Atlanta. It was late in the 92 season, and the Knicks had had a big lead all year over the Celtics in the division. And then late in the year, Boston won like 15 of 16, and the Knicks were collapsing, and my dad hates the Celtics. Um, and there's all this drama, and there's this game in Atlanta, and the Knicks are down one, and Starks gets the ball in the corner with like with with time with like seven seconds eight seconds like plenty of time and just launches a three and this is not the age when corner threes are statistically like the but like it was a bad it was a bad shot you were down one there was time to drive there was time to find ewing there was time to do all these things and the moment starks went into his motion my father started cursing up a storm <laughs> And Starks, of course, missed the shot. Um, so quickly, I would say, is probably the Nick. I think Randall has the ugliest turnovers because they tend to happen um, when he's in a position offensively that it, it always triggers a fast break the other way. So like Randall's are frustrating because they always seem to, to me, like if you can quantify, I don't know if anybody does this, but if you can quantify how many points someone's turnovers lead to on average, Randall definitely is among the league leaders. Um, 
but yeah, uh, there's no throwing them out of bounds. They're like strips into like yeah. odd man advantages, odd man rushes in hockey. I guess quickly makes some very curious decisions. Like quickly is not a player that I am on his mental wavelength. Like he does a lot of things that I don't get. They pay off. Like as much as they don't hit, they hit. Um, but Starks was like that also. Like um, I think quickly. It'd be very interesting to see where quickly is in five years because, you know, Starks had such a different path um, and broke in with the Knicks, like basically right when they got good. So like totally different expectations and and culture and everything, but it does make sense. I had never really thought of it before, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's um, yeah. I mean, he, he definitely is that kind of, that's the thing like with the point guard thing with quickly, um, Tibbs actually mentioned this in the post game, right? In the second half, he wanted him to be more aggressive. He wished quickly had taken more control. Um, I think part of, I mean, quickly did play the most minutes. I think, I think he even played more than Julius tonight, um, or certainly second most after Julius. He played 36 minutes. I wonder how much fatigue plays a role in that. Um, but I think for a player like that, also on a different wavelength, clearly can score in a variety of different ways. When you ask them to be a point guard, uh, when you ask them to facilitate, when you ask them to do those things, finding that balance can be very tough. Um, and I think you see, I think actually quickly for a young player is quite good at it. Um, I think he errs more on the side of um, slowing things down and being tentative than being too aggressive, to be honest. I think yeah. most people would disagree. Um, but you can see that he's trying to do that. Um, and that gets back to the old age old debate, right? It's like, you know, um, to quote the other guys, uh, you gotta let me fly, you know? (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. um, it, I, I think he's, I agree. He's very much, he's a player that can be a point guard. I believe that I believe he has the fortitude and mental acuity and all of that to be a point guard. I think he's a very smart, sorry, very high IQ player. Mm -hmm. Um, and all of that. Um, but the question is, do you like, how much do you lose by having him rein it in? Ultimately, I think you want the ball in his hands. So I would feel like you can, he's a, he's a smart enough player to figure out how to rein it in the right amount. And for, again, for a second year player, I think he's pretty good at it, but that's where you're kind of seeing some of those adjustments and it's fascinating to watch him grow in real time. And, um, and I will say like, I think, I think he's improved. I think Obi's taken a mass. Obi did not have a good game tonight, but I think Obi's taking a massive leap. Um, you know, I think the rookies have looked good. I think the player development this says a lot about them, right? Mitch had some weird stuff going on, but actually, I've really enjoyed Mitch's play of late. Yep. Um, Archie Barrett has been up and down, but there are micro skills that have been better this year. Um, we have. We should talk about. By the way, now that we're on RJ, we should talk about. That shot, um, you know, did, I, I don't think, did you watch it live or um, yes, I did. You know, what were your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, how do you, that, that's kind of the RJ, it's a microcosm of RJ Barrett's career, right? Because overall, he's not, you look at his overall stats and they're pedestrian, but you look at some of the things he does on a game to game basis, whether it's on defense, whether it's a timely drive, whether it's a banked in three at the buzzer, um, you know, yeah, just really want your thoughts on that and, and RJ in general. The shot was... I was very in sync with this game. 
like watching it like i knew like i knew when shit was going in and like i knew when people i'm calling miss free throws like i was very in on i was very attuned with this game and i knew tatum was gonna score fine Sorry, did you see but you didn't watch it live right no i did oh you did okay yeah, yeah. and i was i threw it in rj i don't know why like if you if you were to narrate the game or if I heard on the radio, you know Barrett Barrett catches it, is falling to his right, launches a three. Like I already know it's going to overtime. There's like zero chance R.J. Barrett's making that shot if I if I hear it or if you read me a transcript of it. But watching it, like as soon as the ball left his hands, I knew it was going in. Now uh, this means nothing because I I've known things were going to happen a million times that haven't happened but i had actually we had family visiting so you and... got like apple stock in 1995 <laughs> <laughs> I, we had family visiting and one of them was someone who like doesn't really watch basketball at all but like was very interested in the game because everybody else was watching it and you know they're seeing this this great game like everyone involved you know is is emotionally committed to this Nick Celtic national TV, you know, important game and this comeback and, and blah, blah, blah. And the Randall um, issue. And it was just so nice. And I always remember, I wonder if you remember this Porzingis hit a game winner that they, they called off in Charlotte, um, his rookie season. There was a game down there and they inbounded it to KP and he hit like a 35 foot, like three, and they said it wasn't good, and I still think I'm, I'm still pretty sure that like it should have counted, um, or there wasn't the enough. One? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and then there's the the Mari one, which is almost the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah. So like, there's been all these like almost, almost. Um, but I remember both of the last two game winners were both J.R. Smith. One, the first was in Charlotte, and the second was in Phoenix. And I remember um, the Phoenix game. I had recorded it. I, I missed it live, so I had recorded it, and I was so like happy that he made that shot. It was that that you know enchanted 2013 regular season that I remember. I watched, I rewounded and watched the play like 50 times. Like I just thought it was so good. So when on on MSG they were like, "Oh, here's a clip of the last time the Knicks had a buzzer beater." That play, like I still remembered every single detail of like every movement on the court from watching it like 50. There's nothing like a game winner. I wish it didn't take the Knicks like once a decade to do it, but that was. I can only think of maybe that Trent Tucker, you know, one tenth of a second three is against Chicago is the only other Nick game winner that comes right to mind. And I guess the David Lee Tippin um, for just like sheer insanity of. You know, difficulty in a game winning shot. Yeah, I mean, we've had like the mellow game tying three. Allen Houston, also, I should not overlook. Obviously, yeah. Allen Houston. Um, yeah, the mellow, which one against Chicago? Yeah, that's the one I always remember. So. Mm-hmm. With, here's another interesting thing with that. Um, with Allen Houston, uh, so this is, I think, something that is kind of a thing with Julius. Now I'm willing to say it at this point. It just seems like late in games, you cannot. He just he has she struggles with with free throws, 
And I remember watching as a kid, Alan Houston, they would always show him go to the line. This is not an always thing. Alan Houston overall was a clutch free throw shooter, but they would show him and he would, um, he, they would say 83, 84% for the season. And Alan Houston, I remember several games where he missed both free throws in a clutch situation. Uh, is that a thing, do you think? Or I mean, because like you want to th- say that, you know, nerves aren't really a thing. These are professionals and all of that. But like for some guys, it seems like Alan Houston is one of the best free throw shooters the Knicks have ever had. And I remember just maybe this is my kid brain, you know, overweighting a few of those experiences. But it definitely felt like it was a thing. And it feels a little bit like it's a thing for Julius. Nerves are absolutely a thing. Patrick Ewing had nerves. Patrick Ewing was not someone that you want. Patrick Ewing was like a 75% free throw shooter for his career. A lot of years he was maybe up around 78. He was a great shooter. You did not want Patrick Ewing at the line. But but Houston was even. I mean, first of all, am I remembering the Allen Houston stuff correctly? That's what I don't remember. I Allen Houston was like a eighty nine. I would guess off yeah. the top of my head. And, and I remembered a bunch of times where he missed like two in the clutch, like big ones. I'm sure it happened. I don't remember it being like an issue. Um, would you say it's an issue with Julius? I don't think it's any more of an issue with Randall than it was with Ewing. Like, okay. um. And he's probably closer to that level of shooter than he is Alan Houston. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I'm I'm more concerned with you know Barrett getting to seventy five percent than whatever Randall's doing at this point. There's there's you know the Knicks are are probably the same as every other team. Like I want their best shooters at the line, and Randall is not probably top five on the Knicks as far as shooters. But he takes their technicals. That's kind of a funny thing. He does. He does. There may be a pecking order thing there going on. But like, like I think he's taking them with quickly on the floor, which is like I get it. Like maybe it helps him get his confidence up or you know if he's gonna be your closest all star, like I get boosting his scoring average, but like maybe, but like I was actually like, quickly Fournier probably at least, right? Maybe even Rose. I, yeah, I would take Fournier. I would take Burks over him. I would take Kemba. I would take Rose. I would take Quickly. Um, I would take just at the foul line. I would take. I mean, Grimes is a rookie, so maybe not there. Yeah, but... he's and he's only sixty three percent right now. Um, I mean, I, I feel like Grimes is better than a sixty three percent. I do too. Well. I do too. But like, I I can't. I'm not going to give it to Grimes yet, but. But even the fact that you can question like Quentin Grimes says something about where Randall is with that right now. Um, yeah, like he shouldn't be taking our techs. I think is like he should not. But I think if if the Knicks were a better team, Randall's free throw shooting would not be like really something that we would probably notice that much. Maybe maybe somewhat. If, if he's your best play, like he 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 totally reminds me of Ewing, like. In, in that regard, just in the regard of like at the line late in the game, I don't expect him to make both. Um, I might expect it more from Randall than I did even from Ewing. Ewing missed a lot of free throws in big games. Um, speaking of the Knicks and free throws, I don't know how to do an analysis at all of this, but the Knicks have been rough. Are you rhyming that on purpose? <laughs> rough at the foul line. Going back to Christmas, they were 
like five of twelve against Atlanta. They have had some rough. They were five of twelve against Atlanta, six of sixteen against Minnesota, twelve of twenty-two against OKC last two nights. I think six of fifteen tonight, ten of fifteen in the win. Like this team has some problems at the foul line. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, I mean, is that just that a is bad? Stretch, is that just like a stretch of, you know, you have some bad games and so they'll they'll be hot later, or because their their team percentage for the year is fairly like middle of the 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 pack. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to. So, like we mentioned, Rose has been out. They have had a lot of injuries, and so a lot of the guys who've been playing, the guys who just don't who don't play that much often just don't shoot free throws that well. Um, so, but you, you know, you've had quickly has missed time. Burks has missed time. Rose has missed a lot of time. Kemba's missed time. Um, so a lot of their good free throw shooters have missed time. That's a big part of it. Um, I mean, COVID is just a weird time for stats in general. Yeah. So I would attribute it more to that and then some randomness, but I mean, there's been a debate in the analytics community, right? Is free throw defense a real thing? Now you might say that sounds ridiculous. You can't contest the free throw. Patrick, um, but Patrick Beverly plays free throw defense. Yeah. Well, aside from that, aside from those <laughs> games or J.R. Smith untying someone's shoes, you also have, um, I mean, the free throw defense in the sense of you only, you know who to foul, right? And there are some teams that are very good at knowing who to foul and when to foul, what situations and all of that. I don't think that's what's happened to the Knicks, personally. I think it's been more a lot of injuries, a lot of guys being out, uh, and some randomness. If it persists, you know, we'll see. So just to turn the knife a little bit more on the R.J. Barrett draft, if you could have ended up with Zion or Ja, having seen what they are to this point... Who would you rather have seen end up on the Knicks? Yeah, I mean, I was very much at the time there were people who were like, should we take Ja? And I always felt like they were being contrarians because I I was all in on Zion as a generational prospect. I still think he can be that. Um, I think Schwinn, for example, is very down on his defense and has questions out about his motor that I don't. Um, I think he, the motor is there. I think the conditioning needs work. Um, but you have Jaw who is almost that good. Like Zion at his peak, Jaw is already almost that good. Like he is easily a top five point guard right now. He should be all NBA. Uh, this season, there's an argument that he's been the second best point guard in the league. And number one is one of the top 10 players of all time. There's an argument for that. If there's others you'd put, Jaw is not falling out of the top three or four. So, and he's 20, 22, 21. At this point, I'd probably say Jaw just because there's less risk that comes. Like Zion, right? Zion right now is a risk. What outside of his fault or not, you don't know how much he's going to be able to play. I don't know if he's Drew Greg Odin, but will he get the development time? Is he ever going to be reliable for more than 60 games a season? And there are players who have actually made that work. One player who has made that work where you never, you know you're never going to get more than 65 games out of him but he is just that good, is Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. But Zion isn't Joel Embiid. Um, 
unless he has some massive improvements to part of his games, he could be that. He but he needs that. That's the thing because you can never count on him being that healthy. Zion needs to be Joel Embiid or you know that level of impact when he is healthy for me to kind of see it the other way. Otherwise, I think yeah, I do have to go Ja. Yeah, what about you? That is difficult. I like as a Nick fan specifically, I should say Ja because they have never had a point guard anywhere near that level in my lifetime. Um, like the best. Do you think he's already better than Marbury ever was? Yes, much better. Um, you know, the, the Knicks did not get the best of Marbury. They got a couple of good years from him. And it's not his fault that um, particularly his second season with the team you know, was pretty awful. But no, Ja Morant is is step on it. better than peak Marbury. Like if you think Minnesota Marbury was his best, would you say he's better than that? I would. That's I think just a good question. I would. Yeah, yeah, I would take where Ja is right now. Um, Steph was never at that level. Yeah, I agree. And Stephen Murray was an incredibly talented player. So yes, he was. Uh, who, some have compared John to it at times. Um, so yeah. Last, and perhaps least, um, we will touch on the Julius Randall thumbs down gate, um, which seems to me like was pretty quickly a non-story. Uh, Julius Randall at the end of. Thursday is it Thursday's game uh, against the Celtics. Um, the Knicks heard some boos deservedly um, in the third quarter when they were down 20 and couldn't get a shot off playing five on four. Um, Randall scored a basket in the fourth. I think to put them down maybe four crowd is cheering. Randall puts his thumb down. Porter asked him about it after the game. Randall says, you know, it means shut the fuck up. Implication clear being that it was directed at the crowd. Um, For all you Met fans out there, it was a delightful walk down memory lane to the Javi Baez, Francisco Lindor thumbs down gate, which really went over well. Um, Randall earlier, I have lost all track of time. Maybe earlier today, Randall on his Instagram... No, it was yesterday he did the Instagram. Today he got fined. That's it. Special. Okay. But on his Instagram, he apologized. And I, I believe him. He said, you know, that he was very passionate about the team. Sorry, if you wanted to. I, I no, I, I was going to say, I don't, I didn't even think he needed to yeah, issue a statement. And then the NBA comes out and finds him. Yeah, that seemed ridiculous. I think the whole thing has been overblown. Yeah. Like, I get, I, I think that. Knicks fans who booed, as you mentioned, on a five-on-four that was blown, have a right to do that. We don't know what else has been said to him and his family on Instagram and Twitter. People have mentioned that you know, there are people out there who will message family members mm-hmm. and players in you know, crossing a line, right? Not criticizing the play, but adding them, whatever. So we don't know the whole story of what he's gone through. But if someone's booing you early in a game and then they're on your side when you're coming back and you thumbs down them, like that's a, like they're competitors right like we're we've all been in that situation um you've probably been in that situation with family members right like 
I've been in situations where my parents would be highly critical of me. And then once I like prove them wrong and they're like, good job. I'm like, no, like you doubted me, right? Like (laughs) we probably, we do that with loved ones. I I don't think there's anything wrong with what he did. I don't think that says that. um, And then on the flip side, uh, I don't think there's also anything wrong with Knicks fans booing. That said, um, booing can be a a difficult thing for people. Um, It's tough, right? Because I think, I've, I've been just curious to, because I know you've written a lot about, you know, about labor issues and those kind of things. Um, I would be interested in your thoughts because I think that's just a, a, it's an interesting conversation when people talk about NFL or sorry, professional athletes are play are, are labor, right? Um, and should we, should we identify them with like kind of the general labor movement? Um, so from that lens, right, if someone comes to your job and boos you, right, like imagine if you're working a regular job and someone pays money and they're like, I want to watch you work, but I'm going to boo you also if I don't think you're doing a good job. You know, if, if you're working a regular job, you don't like that. But if you're getting, but if I was getting paid $25 million, right, you know, that's different, right? Um, so I'd be curious, like, do you, how, like when you hear about people equating kind of athletes whether it's LeBron, you know, whether it's like vaccine issues, like it should be my choice, whether it's other kinds of things with, you know, LeBron speaking out about politics, it's a, it's a mishmash of things. Where are you kind of on like equating athletes to kind of the general labor movement part of thing? I think that um, athletes are workers. And I think there's a certain, um, I think there's an understanding that athletes possess that I think it's one of those things fans take for granted. And I think now that the status quo is being challenged so much, it's not so much that there's controversy over, you know, what's right or wrong. The controversy really is just stemming from the fact that like something kind of absurd is being exposed. So Julius Randle gives a thumbs down. He didn't, you know, he wasn't sulking around the court. He wasn't, you know, pissing away position. Like he was 100% engaged and, and central to that comeback against the Celtics. Um, Julius Randle has been booed many times by fans at Madison Square Garden. A lot. His first year with the Knicks, they sucked and they got booed a lot. And this year they've been booed a few times already. If I remember right, on Christmas Day, they got booed. Um, So once Julius Randle has had a response to X number of boos, X representing something much greater than one, and it's an issue, like, if anything, athletes, I think, the restraint that they show is exceptional. Um, Particularly, and, and I think New York... This is a tricky discussion not to like just become an idiot about, but I think there is certainly a portion of the fan base that like when Phil Jackson was hired at the introductory press conference, like two minutes into it, he's talking about the media. And I remember being so like crestfallen because I I had seen Phil Jackson coming in as as an enormous representation of a culture change and he sounded to me two minutes into it like he's james dolan's phil jackson um 
I think Julius Randle is like pretty much anybody else. And he's taken most of it. He responded once. It shows he's a human being. I don't think people should need to be reminded of that ever. Um, but if that's what it takes to be reminded, Nick yeah. fans, Nick fans in particular can absolutely deal with one fuck you. Because Patrick Ewing had in in less profane language had exactly the same complaint. Someone tweeted today um, a quote from Walt Frazier when he was getting booed and talking about the difficulties of it late in his time with the Knicks. Like it happens, but what's changing hopefully more and more is that the public doesn't purchase an individual's dignity because a private citizen pays them a certain amount of money. Yep. Like we, we don't talk, we don't tolerate that in any facet of society. So I, again, yeah, I think tolerate. if anything, the athletes are exceptional for taking as much shit as they do. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a really good point. Um, so are you against booing? I mean, do you think booing crosses that line? No, I don't. Um, I do think for in the case of Julius Randle specifically, and I see this um, as a moderator at Posting and Toasting, dealing with comment sections, um, there is yeah. a real level of ugliness with some of the stuff that's been said about Randle, either just within the context of as a basketball player, it's been ugly, and certainly in, in personal stuff that has nothing to do with the game, it's been like not pleasant to deal with the number of people who feel at liberty to say horrible things about this person who is, I think maybe six months off of being named like NBA's most improved player. And like, I, I know that doesn't help this year, but, but even, even that even if he wasn't right. I mean, there's certain, even if you, yeah, even if he wasn't, but, but, you know, there's something there, so back to that Phil Jackson story actually had a point to it, which is there is unfortunately a reality, I think, that because of a certain portion, vocal portion of the fan base, like I really do think that kind of shit works against some people wanting to come here. I think it, to New York, I think it's a negative factor. You can say like it shouldn't matter, and you can say that like a lot of people you know, get past that or don't care about it. Like, that's fine. But like, New York is not Los Angeles. New York is not Miami. Like, it's not the primary place to go. If it's, if the Knicks are good, they will attract people. But the Knicks have never in the history of their franchise ever signed, like, the best player in the sport. This kind of shit. They did get Jeremy Lin as the 15th man on the bench. They did a nice job with that one. That was close. And for some time, he was the best player in the world. So. That was close. They got close there. Um, and we saw how that turned out. Um, but, yeah. That's... Uh, yeah, I think that's... Uh, I, I would uh, I would have to agree with all that. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it's tough to... Uh, it's, it's just a tough job from that standpoint overall. And it's, I think especially if you... I mean, his kid is... His older child is just getting to the age where they can read and write. I remember, um, I think it was, it was Michael Beasley who mentioned how, um, you know, um, 
you know, he started to, uh, you know, for what it's worth, there was an interview where he was talking to a reporter and like he was talking about how his daughter came and told him about some article she had Googled about him that didn't put, you know, because he was, you know, he came to the league at 20 and at 19, did some immature stuff. Um, then I don't think Michael Beasley has ever think, done anything seriously egregious, but, you know, he had some maturity issues and he, he was saying that I don't want my kids to remember anything that like that. Right. But in the social media and information age, when your kids can read the stuff that's being written about you, when everyone in your family can, um, you know, even compared to Ewing's era, I'm sure that's, um, that matters a lot. Yeah. And in Randall's case specifically, like his kids right there, like the kids are sitting yeah. courtside. Um, you can argue fairly like, Julius Randle doesn't have a entitlement. He doesn't. You know, you don't, you're not entitled to to a, a, a I don't know a reality, but it's just like I don't see what Randall has done. No, see, even that's the wrong thing to say. The stuff that he's responding to, I think, is stuff that there's no justification for. I don't think Julius Randle is thin-skinned. I don't think Julius Randle can't handle being booed, and and I think booing is fine. But I think something about it, and, like, he's going to be more aware of it than anybody else. But, like, if we've seen shit that we're like, oh, that crosses the line, then he's seen and heard the same shit, too. And his, you know, his children are... No, no yeah. one is. No one deserves that shit. Yeah, there is. Um, there's one other thing. I know we're a little bit past time. But there's one other thing I wanted to ask you. Um, so Evan Fournier has been a bit of a controversial action. Speaking of negative vitriol, that's redundant, I guess. So just vitriol spewed in a player's direction. Evan Fournier has been perhaps on the receiving end of more than at least any other besides Julius Randle, if not more. Um, but there's one opponent who is actually torched. That's the Boston Celtics, his former team. But after one or two games, you would think the revenge narrative would go down. Um, is there something you see or does it remind you of anyone like that? But, you know, do you think this is just a random thing? But why does Evan Fournier look like Clay goddamn Thompson against the Celtics? And then, uh, you know, maybe not that against nearly everyone else. Yeah, he was so fun to watch in that game. Um, oh, all of them. I mean, the first game of the season, yep. he was a big part about why I was so optimistic because the ball just moves. When he's going, everything goes well, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he's a very different player, but it reminds me of when, um, and he was only there for a year, but Xavier McDaniel was brought in in 91-92 and X was replacing Kiki Vandaway and... Kiki could score, but like he couldn't do anything else at that point in his career. And X really struggled um, for a while as a Nick. He, he was kind of disappointing the first few months. And um, there was a weekend game. I think it was against Phoenix. There was some game. It was a Saturday night where he finally hit. Like he just clicked. And they looked like a completely different team. Um, just, just that Nick team suddenly having you know, another guy who was an efficient 20 alongside Ewing and didn't cost you any, you know, rebounding or strength 
Fournier, I think, is like a prototype for what the Knicks really wanted the position. Like, there's a better Evan Fournier somewhere, and and that's the guy, like, that that should be there. So when Fournier hits, like, they look like what everyone thought they would look like this year. He doesn't usually hit. Um, Yeah, Xavier McDaniel is my unexpected Evan Fournier comparison. So I think we're good. Sorry, I I, I was on mute. Oh, okay. um, just the last like you said, you mentioned that there's things about um, Evan Fournier that you know there's a better version of him. What like archetype or skill set is that to you? Like, what specifically about Evan Fournier's skill set to you do you think is what they eventually want from like the final solution at that position? I think on the offensive end, they want a person who can. You know, shoot threes off the dribble, can shoot threes off of movement, um, who can be effective, you know, attacking a closeout, either off the dribble pull-up or, you know, maybe not quite the, the the floater game of quickly, but sometimes I wonder whether Fournier or quickly is more accurate with their floaters. Um, a guy who the superior version of Fournier would be, you know, someone with, a little more athleticism, you know, to be more of a threat when they get near the rim. But, you know, Clay Thompson. Yeah, it's pretty well. Um, Clay Thompson, you know, like someone who can, you know, Fournier doesn't, Fournier needs a certain amount of space to do his thing. Uh, You know, a superior version of him. He's a, he's a, he's a decent two guard. He's a decent shooting guard. But I think, when he's hitting, like, you know, oh my god, because because he when he when he's clicking offensively, he's a lot more than Reggie Bullock was. Like, um, yeah. he's a lot more. They don't they don't have anyone. They don't have anyone else like him. Um, depending on who they start at the point, um, you know, Burks is a very good shooter from three not a great shooter so much from most other places like inside the arc he's been down this year um they don't have another person like fournier who you know can get it off as quickly you know some of those shots he hit against the celtics there was one where he caught it inbounds and he's like fading sideways lets it go that's not a shot that people make you know like quickly quickly could make that shot i think but like of the other Nick guards, like, I don't know, Fournier, when he makes it, he, he looks like, you know, he looks so good. He's, uh, someone who can create offense and shoot efficiently and, you know, do more than one thing off of a closeout. Uh, we're in a pick and roll, like, the Knicks are not flush with that in recent years, I don't think. Is there anything about Boston in particular that you think brings that out, or just because they have good perimeter defenders, they, they have an excellent rim protector in Robert Williams, they have Marcus Smart. Yeah. Um, you know what is it? Why is why Boston? Because God is good. <laughs> yeah, 
That's all I, I can so. think. That's all I can think of. Um, I was really looking forward to him playing today to see yeah. like what would you know happen next in this streak, and I was really I was like you know I bet he could go for like you know thirty six tonight. That would be crazy. Like, or they're I, gonna have to revamp their defense so much that someone else is gonna go <laughs> off as a result, right? I have, rarely has anyone been as disappointed as Nick fans today were to hear specifically that Evan Fournier was not going to play in a game. Yeah. Right down. Cool. Uh, but I think that's a pretty good place to uh, to call it, unless you had anything else. No, no, that's all for now. Knicks are playing next week three games. They are playing the Spurs and then the Mavs. On Saturday, they play the Hawks. Um, hopefully, they can win two of those three. Stacy, anything you want to say before we depart? No. Uh, yeah, don't freak out about this one. We split with the Celtics. That's what is important. Knicks still have uh, have everything alive, and uh, exciting times lie ahead. There you go. Peace, everybody. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.